0: Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that we continue in worship even now, that worship extends beyond just singing songs to you and praying, but it is indeed also hearing your very words to us. And in doing that, we glory in them. We are grateful, Lord God, to sit here today and to be able to freely worship you, freely hear your word and be encouraged and built up by it. We pray, Lord God, that you might open our hearts afresh today. Revive us in your way. And God, I pray that you would help me personally to represent your word as it is, Lord. It is a light shining forth into the darkness. It is a roaring lion that needs no caging. So Lord, help me to get out of its way and allow it to do its work. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're now entering the final two chapters of the book of Daniel, as we've been working through this now for several months. And so far, as we've studied this ancient text, we've been struck by the incredible prophetic visions that God has given both to Daniel and also to King Nebuchadnezzar. And we've seen how these dreams and visions that God has given to these men accurately predicted future events in world history including the rise of specific empires, rulers, and nations. We know that some of these prophetic dreams and visions actually speak of events which are still future for us, even here in the 21st century. And we have seen how God rules, God reigns sovereignly, both in the heavens and on the earth. He is the one who raises up empires. He casts them down again. His purposes are always accomplished and no one can thwart what he has planned to do in the words of King Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel 4. We've seen also God's power to rescue his people from disaster. Remember when God rescued the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Remember also when God rescued Daniel from the lion's den and finally in Daniel's life brothers and sisters we have seen a type of Christ an image a foreshadowing even palely but a foreshadowing of Christ a man who was devoted to God he was devoted to God in prayer he was devoted to God in fasting and in his manner of life He was constantly interceding for God's people on their behalf. He was a man who was committed to setting himself apart from the world, to separating himself unto God and to living a life of holiness. Daniel was a man who feared God above men. Amen. This is something that we can learn from. Now the book of Daniel spans a period in Daniel's life of roughly 60 to 70 years. I don't know if you know that but as we read the book of Daniel really we're spanning the whole of Daniel's adult life. From his time being inducted into Babylonian culture under the king Nebuchadnezzar right through to the fall of Babylon and the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire in the early 530s BC. Now chapter 10 today is unique in the book of Daniel and indeed it is unique in really the whole of the Bible and my hope and my prayer is today that by the time we finish this study together of Daniel's 10th chapter that you will leave with a changed prayer life and that you will leave with greater insight into what is happening in the spiritual Realm, Because this chapter actually lifts back the veil between the natural and the supernatural realms. And we actually catch a glimpse in Daniel 10 of what's going on in the heavenlies. We see how spiritual warfare actually works. And through chapter 10 to 12, we're dealing with this very final vision of the prophet Daniel. So chapter 10 isn't the vision, it's more the preface to the vision. And we find Daniel has been lamenting lamenting for a period of three weeks. And he's not fully fasting from everything, but he's not eating anything pleasurable. It'd be like you and I stopping eating sweeties and nice treats. For me, it would be you know stopping drinking coffee and things like that. So he's on a form of fast, depriving himself of certain foods. He's not anointing his body, which means really to wash and cleanse himself for three weeks. We're told he's done this in the first month. So we can gather that this 24th day of the month is the 24th day of the month of Nisan. He's been fasting in the month of Passover, over the, the celebration of the Passover. And Daniel's been lamenting and praying for 21 days. Three weeks of seven day periods. Why was Daniel in such a state? Why was he in this place of grieving, of mourning? Is there anything that we can tell from scripture about what might have brought that on. I believe we can make an inference. I'm not saying for certain this is the reason that Daniel was mourning, but I think there is good reason to believe that we can actually identify the reason for Daniel's mourning in Daniel chapter 10. We know from Daniel that this all took place in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So we're talking about two or so years after the events in Daniel chapter 9. Now by this time in the third year of Cyrus what had happened is the king Cyrus had made a decree. If you've read the book of uh, Ezra, the King Cyrus makes a decree that the Jews may go back to the Holy Land and begin to rebuild the temple. And by this point in history, we know that 42,360 Jews have already returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. And they've begun rebuilding the temple under Ezra. Work had begun. They rebuilt the altar. If we open up the book of Ezra, we'll see. They'd laid the foundations even. But soon enough, they faced opposition. Men from the north, men from the region of Samaria came down and they they wanted to help. At first it seemed like they would want to be alongside the Jews and help them to accomplish God's purposes. But the Jews saw that this was a job only for them and they refused the help of the Samaritans. And from that day the Samaritans became enemies to them and put them in fear so that the work on the temple ceased they downed tools and nothing happened for the entire rest of king cyrus's rule in persia there's no doubt at all that daniel would have heard about this he would have been deeply grieved and by this time in daniel chapter 10 daniel is is an old man he's between 70 and and 80 or so he'd waited his whole life in hope of seeing god's temple rebuilt in jerusalem He'd seen some of his people return there. He'd seen the decree of Cyrus go forth. He'd heard even that burnt offerings had begun once again on the Temple Mount. But now, just when everything seemed to be moving in the right direction, work suddenly stops. Have you ever been in a season like that where you've really seen God begin to move in a certain area? And all of a sudden, something happens there's opposition, there's a tragedy there's pain, there's suffering and things just seem to stop. I don't know if you've ever been in a season like that. It can be really hard to process but that's exactly what happens to Daniel. Daniel laments. I want to take just a moment to talk about the subject of lament. Lamenting is described like this by the dictionary. It's a passionate expression A passionate expression of sorrow or grief. Lament, mourning and sorrow have their place in Christian devotion. We read the Psalms, don't we? And we find David in the Psalms regularly in a place of passionately pouring out his sorrows, his griefs he pours out his heart to god and he's trying to make sense of his life he's trying to make sense of injustices of betrayal of failure we find even our lord jesus in seasons of lament we find him weeping at the death of lazarus lazarus rather we find also the apostle paul don't we constantly praying with tears for his brothers and sisters who are under persecution sorrow Grief, disappointment, these are emotions that rise up in us and they're not wrong. They're not necessarily unbelief. Sorrow isn't always some soulish devil to be cast out or exiled. These things, these emotional places of desperation where we we cry out. We feel pain. These are supposed to be emotions that get poured out to God in prayer. They have their place in our walk with God. We're not supposed to be stoics. We shun emotion. You know, we give it the stiff upper lip. Neither are we supposed to be positivists. You know what that means? Somebody who just says, well, there's always some bright side to look upon, we're just going to be cheerful. You know, in this church, we don't believe in sorrow. We don't believe in sadness. We just believe in the joy. We're not supposed to be uh, positivists either. We're We're not supposed to be living in unreality. You're allowed, just as Daniel was, to feel sorrow. We're allowed to look at the world and feel pain. We're allowed to look at the world and grieve over injustices that we're looking at. If you haven't been doing that in the last few weeks, then I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes it's in feeling helpless that we recognize our limitations. We recognize that we have nowhere else to go but prayer. Sometimes there's nothing practical that you can do, is there? When certain problems hit, when something painful happens when you see something on a world stage begin to unfold and you're powerless really in yourself to to make that change but in that moment you realize I can do something I can do something I can go to God I can pour this pain out to him in prayer Daniel lamented because he wanted to see God's will done on the earth he wanted to see the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem And when we look out at the world today, there should be a place for lament in our hearts. There should be. When we look at the state of our nation, there should be a place for lament. I'm confronted by it every week. I don't know about you, but we preach the gospel in town and you see people willfully rejecting the gospel. That's a cause for lament. We see in this nation the tragedy of abortion. Over 200,000 babies every year in this country die before they ever leave their mother's womb. That's a tragedy. That's a reason for lament. Sometimes lament is really the birthplace of revival. It's not something we want to shun from our lives or say, I don't want to feel sad. I want to find something to be excited about. Sometimes you need to sit in that pain and sit in that frustration and lament and be sorrowful and pour out your heart to God and say, this isn't right. God, I want to see your will done. I want to see people turn from their sin. I want to see an end to rejection of your gospel. Sometimes lament and sorrow are the very birthplace of revival. Daniel's been mourning and crying out to God now for 21 days straight. He's an old man, he's weak, but he deprives himself of food. And by this riverbank, he mourns, grieves and fasts for 21 days. Deprives his body of good food. He's worn out, he's exhausted I don't know if you've ever tried fasting and praying and mourning. I manage about three days and I'm good for nothing. Here's a man in his late 70s or early 80s, 21 days. Wow, it challenges me. He's worn out, exhausted, when suddenly there on the riverbank is this figure. As this figure, like a man but with a face like lightning, Eyes like fire and voice like the sound of a multitude. Can you imagine that? As we unpack what this all means, I want for us to see a number of things here today. I want for us to see firstly, very clearly this, that there is an unseen realm. There is such a thing as an unseen realm. It's real. It's not make-believe. Secondly, that figures who exist within this unseen realm actually influence events in the seen realm. They pull strings. They pull strings behind world leaders, powers, and governments. They can help or they can hinder God's people. Thirdly, I want for us to see this, that when we pray, we are influencing events in the unseen realm. We are actually engaging in spiritual warfare every time we pray. Daniel's friends, when they see Daniel, begin to tremble. They don't see this figure, do they? But they sense something that sends them running for cover. I've heard one angel visitation story which was much like that. It was a well-known worship leader playing on his piano and just singing songs of worship to the Lord. And apparently while this was all happening, it wasn't in front of a crowd, it was just him with his band. All of a sudden he looked round and the band behind him was gone. They were all gone. He didn't see anything, but his band had run and hid under the sound desk and were trembling and shivering and said, we've just seen an angel show up. Sometimes the most natural reaction to seeing an angel is fear. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens to Daniel's friends. They, They run for cover. They're trembling. Daniel's strength immediately leaves him, doesn't it? He falls to his face. It says he, he began to fall into a deep sleep as this angel or this messenger began to speak. The, the image of this figure sounds a lot like the image that John sees in Revelation, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like that. And John said too, when I saw him in Revelation, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. Of course, John was encountering the risen Lord Jesus there in Revelation. Now often in Scripture, when angelic beings show up, people are immediately petrified. They're completely incapacitated quite often. And the words, therefore, that accompany angelic encounters in Scripture are often, don't be afraid, don't fear. Why do they say that? Because they had good reason to fear. <laughs> Don't be afraid, they say. And this figure says to Daniel, Oh Daniel, man greatly beloved in the ESV, in the RSV. Man greatly beloved, give heed to the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I've been sent to you. While he was speaking the word to me, I stood up trembling, it says. When God sends an angelic messenger to his people... There's always a word of comfort, isn't there? Whether it's don't be afraid or whether in this example here, it's Daniel, man, greatly beloved. I want to say this today, knowing that you are beloved of God, actually knowing that, not just hearing me say it, but you knowing that you are beloved of God is literally the most life-giving fact that you could ever know. That you are beloved of God. I wonder. When you're brought to your knees by life. Whether you've ever caught a glimpse of God's love for you. That you are greatly beloved of God. Those are life giving words. It isn't a bare fact. It's a fact you can actually know experientially. My prayer is today that we dwell on that fact. We receive that truth in more than just our heads, but in our hearts. We receive it. You are greatly beloved of God. This angel tells Daniel to stand to his feet. Now, what significance does that have? Why does he say stand up? I think standing up as opposed to sitting down, it signifies attentiveness, doesn't it? It signifies a readiness. It's like in an army barracks, like many of you won't have served in the army. I certainly haven't, but we've seen the movies, right? When the commanding officer comes in and he yells at them and he begins to perform a roll call, the soldiers all have to stand to attention, don't they? They have to get up, stand to attention, to show their what? To show their attentiveness, that they are ready for the officer's command. And I think in these days, church, that the Lord is calling his church to stand. He's calling us to attention, to be in a place of readiness for the unfolding of his words, to be in a, a, a place of preparedness, rather, to face what is coming to us in these times, to stand for God. So what does it mean for us, church, to stand? Well, I, I think it means that we become Like Daniel here in chapter 10, we become extremely vigilant. Do you know what vigilant means? Well, you can go too far with it. There's a negative um, condition called hypervigilance, which is meaning essentially where you you hear the drop of a a penny from a mile off and you're like, (laughs) that's hypervigilance. That's when you're too vigilant. But we draw that back to a healthy place. And vigilance means that you are attuned to what is going on. Around you. And I think God is calling the church right now into a place of vigilance, both in our study of God's word and also in prayer, to be vigilant, to be watchmen. My dad has talked a little bit before about what it means to be a watchman. And I think he's calling us to that. I think that God is wanting us to be hyper aware of what he has said in his word. And also to be hyper vigilant to what he is doing in the earth. To be ready. To make appropriate prayers. To be vigilant. That we know the times that we live in. We talked about this before. How important is it to know the time that we live in? so that we might know how to pray in those times. I think God wants us to be ready to play our part. That's what I'm saying. To stand, to be ready. Not to be found lying down or sitting, but to be vigilant. I believe that there is a spiritual warfare going on right now, which has ramped up even in the last couple of years. But I want to say to you, that's for our good. That's for our good. Have you ever found that to be the case? that spiritual warfare and the attacks of Satan and his demonic realm on your life has actually been turned for good. How many of you have ever seen that before? I know that I have. Listen to this quote from Martin Luther. He says this, As soon as God's word becomes known through you, the devil will afflict you. He will make a real doctor, a theologian or a teacher of you. He will teach you by his temptations to seek and to love God's word word Luther said that the papists as he called them, the Roman Catholic church, chased him beat him, persecuted him and all it did was drive him into the Lord's arms sometimes the attacks of the enemy always in fact on the life of a Christian are used for good I was in Oxford on Friday actually visiting a friend I I used to live there, got married down there and it's a place that I love dearly And we went to one of our favourite places together. We went to Broad Street in Oxford. How many of you have been to Oxford before? Go down to Broad Street. It's next to Balliol College before you get to the Sheldonian. And there at the bottom of Broad Street is a small square on the ground with a brick cross inside of it. And it marks the place where two, indeed three, Christians were martyred. Three Protestants were martyred by the Catholic Church back in the 16th century. Two of them were called Ridley and Latimer. The third was Cranmer himself, was burnt to the stake there, uh, burnt at the stake rather. And uh, the tradition goes that while Ridley and Latimer being bound to the stake, ready to be burned, and the flames began to lick up against their bodies, Latimer turned to Ridley and he said this, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. You know, the devil's attacks on your life are used for good. They are used for good. And I believe that in this day we need to be ready and vigilant and prepared for those attacks to come. Not found lying down. Not found unprepared. But found ready. Now there's something really interesting that this messenger from God actually says to Daniel. In verses 12 and 13 and this is really the bulk of what I want to share today I will get on to who this character is and we can discuss that a little bit but I want to just pay some attention to what is actually said to Daniel in these two verses because you see he tells Daniel he tells Daniel Daniel as soon as you began to pray as soon as you began to pour out your heart those words were heard on the very first day of your mourning Your words were heard and I was sent to you. But we know that there was a 21-day gap between this angel being given the decree to go to Daniel and actually arriving and showing himself to Daniel. We know that this angel, this messenger from heaven had been held back by a character who he calls the prince of the kingdom of Persia for a period of 21 days. The exact length of Daniel's period of prayer and fasting. Now there are several things of note here that I want us to pay attention to. Firstly, the messenger was sent because of Daniel's words. The messenger came because of Daniel's prayer. Daniel's prayer was a cause of a heavenly decree. What can we learn here? We can learn this. Prayer is effective. Prayer is effective. The prayer that we pray, actually impacts what goes on in the heavenly realm. Prayer moves spiritual powers like pieces on a chessboard. And God indeed has chosen prayer as the means by which he accomplishes his sovereign purposes on the earth. God ordains not just the ends, but the means, brothers and sisters. He has chosen prayer prayer to be his sovereign means of accomplishing his purposes on the earth secondly i want for us to see this even though heavenly powers and forces began to organize themselves and deploy from heaven at the first words that daniel prayed daniel didn't know anything about it did he god issued a decree at the first word of prayer daniel had no clue He had no feeling, no buzz, no chills, no revelation that God was actually doing anything until the 21st day when this messenger arrived. Listen to me, sometimes we think that just because we don't get an instant answer to prayer that our prayer isn't working. Daniel 10 shows us that that way of thinking is utterly wrong. Daniel's answer was given the moment that he began praying, but there was a delay in receiving the answer. And he had no inkling at all that there was anything going on in the heavenlies until the 21st day. We have to stop thinking about prayer like it's a vending machine, like we've got to go to it, select the thing that we want, and boom, there it is. Prayer is more like a battlefield. Prayer's more like a game of rugby, if you watch the Six Nations. Or it's more like a game of American football, which is my preference, really. But there we go. The ball needs to get moved to the try line to the touchdown zone, right? And in order to do that, there has to be strategy, there has to be consistency, there has to be endurance in our prayer. There has to be endurance. There's an enemy defense team lined up against us, which is trying to thwart God's answer to our prayers. And if we want to get the ball over the line, so to speak, and see our prayers get answered, sometimes it takes more than just one prayer, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes more than one prayer. But I think so often, if you've ever watched American football, there's a move called the Hail Mary, right? It's not Catholic theology. What it means is it's when the quarterback is in desperation, And there's a huge distance to go to the touchdown zone, and so he just wails the ball as high as he can, and he just hopes. He just hopes that one of his runners is going to be able to catch it. But really, it's it's a wing and a prayer. And sometimes I think we think about prayer like that. It's like, okay, let's hope. But prayer's not like that. Prayer isn't like that. It's not like a vending machine. It's not like a Hail Mary throw. Prayer is an attritional battle. It takes persistence it takes us digging in into our positions and having a strategy and moving forward sometimes we not see the full answer to that prayer for, for some time but we must keep moving forwards you see this messenger from heaven that had been sent on day one of Daniel's prayer he had to fight his way past this person that he calls the prince of the kingdom of Persia he actually needed help from another prince that he calls Michael What's going on here? Who are these princes that he's talking about? What's meant by that? Well, we can tell for certain these aren't human princes. These aren't human rulers. We're talking about the kind of princes that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 when he says for we're not contending against flesh and blood but against principalities against the powers against the world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places that's who we're talking about we're talking about powerful spiritual beings who rule in unseen heavenly realms we're talking about angels we're talking about demons today Now we know this messenger that Daniel is talking to right now with the face like lightning. We know this is an angel. This is a messenger from God. He receives help also from another prince, another ruler called Michael in his fight against the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And this Michael, this archangel as we call them, which actually just means ruling angel, Is a powerful, high ranking angel in God's army who actually seems to have like a special remit for fighting the powers of darkness. This prince of the power, sorry, this prince of Persia is actually a high ranking demon. This is a fallen angel who is influencing the kingdom of Persia. He doesn't want to see God's purposes come to pass. He doesn't want God's people to have hope. And so what he's trying to do is block God's word from coming to Daniel. Isn't that interesting? This demon who's given a remit to influence and govern Persia. What he wants to do is stop God's word from getting to God's people. One of Satan's main objectives, brothers and sisters, in this life is to keep you from the word of God just like the prince of Persia trying to keep God's word from Daniel which would have brought encouragement strength the devil today is trying to keep you from this he doesn't want you to be encouraged he doesn't want you to be strengthened and he recognizes that this will do the job this demon called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He has a specific remit. He has a job. And that is to rule over the earthly kingdom of Persia. That's his aim. That's his objective. I want to say this very clearly. Behind every earthly power, behind every world government, there are demonic princes seeking to influence them. Whether that's Putin's Russia, whether that's Biden's United States, be assured that there are powers in the demonic realm trying to gain control, trying to have influence. Are we not seeing this right now in the world? I believe this is why we're encouraged to pray for our leaders so often in the Bible. That they might, you know, these leaders, these rulers right now, they, they don't understand that there are spiritual powers of darkness, is that there's a prince of Russia, that there's a prince of the United States, but there is. These rulers don't know that, but we do. And that's why we're called to pray for these people, whether we agree with them politically. Or not, we are called to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2 says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and all thanksgivings be made for everyone. For kings, for all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all goodness and dignity. Imagine, brothers and sisters, if Daniel had stopped praying on the 20th day. Just before the answer came. I wonder... Would help have come from Michael or not if Daniel had stopped his prayer? I I don't know. But what this passage teaches us is the importance of perseverance in prayer. That as we pray, there is a battle raging in the heavenlies that we don't see. Heavenly decrees get issued on the basis of your prayers. Isn't that incredible? I wonder if knowing that truth suddenly makes you feel more serious about your prayer life. Now some theologians think that this figure with the face like lightning and fiery eyes and voice like a multitude. Some think that it is actually a pre-incarnate visitation of actually the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the fact that this is a messenger who needs help from Michael to defeat this prince of Persia for me suggests it's not actually Jesus, but rather is a high-ranking angel. Furthermore, I want to finish this little uh, study on these verses by saying this, that there are two qualities. There are two qualities about Daniel's prayer that this angel mentions, and I think it's noteworthy. Firstly, the angel mentions that Daniel has set his heart to understand. Daniel, in his prayers, And in his lifestyle, he has set his heart to understand what God is saying. Secondly, the angel says that Daniel has humbled himself before God. That was Daniel's manner in prayer and in life. He set his heart to understand and he humbled himself before God. I want to say this. In our prayers, in our study of God's word uh, in the scriptures, we want to have those two attitudes. We want to seek to understand god's word and we want to humble ourselves under god not to seek to tell god what he's supposed to do amen but to humble ourselves under the lord both in our study of the word when we read things in the bible that we don't understand necessarily we have a heart to understand it we want to say lord please help me see this but even if i don't understand it in my little pygmy mind Lord, I want to humble myself under it. Does that make sense? We're ready to accept whatever answer comes our way in prayer. Not to argue with God about what he should or shouldn't do. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Do not be rash with your mouth. N- not, do not let your heart be hasty or utter a word before God too quickly. For God is in heaven, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This angel finally tells Daniel that he's come to make him understand things that are to happen in the nation of Israel in the future. We're not going to study those today because those are found in 11 and 12. But hearing this message from the angel strikes Daniel mute. He loses his strength. He says there's no breath left in him. Now if having a face-to-face encounter with an angel does this to you, then again we see the absolute necessity of Jesus coming in the flesh as a man so that we could actually stand before him, hear him, understand what he's saying to us so that humans could stand in the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his word without falling down on their faces and dying. We see, brothers and sisters, how far God was prepared to stoop down so that humanity could understand him, so that humanity might be saved. We know that passage in Philippians chapter 2 that says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Finally we read another angel comes along, strengthens Daniel. We know it wasn't a man Had the appearance of a man. And that's how Daniel talks about angels often. They had the appearance of a man. Daniel's strengthened by this messenger. And this messenger from heaven is about to reveal to Daniel what is to come in the days ahead. We'll read more of that in the next few installations in chapter 11 and 12. But what is said at the end of chapter 10 again tells us that this Persian empire which was current for Daniel is going to come to an end. Again, the Lord is able to prophesy accurately of future events to Daniel. The Persian Empire is coming to an end. There will be a Prince of Greece who comes next. And that this will be the next empire to rule. As we've said before, every earthly kingdom, every government ruled by men, no matter which nation, whether it's a Western nation, whether it's Eastern, whether it's avowedly Christian, or whether it's Muslim, every government of man does have an allotment of a demonic principality, a demonic power which seeks to influence it and have dominion over it. And through prayer, through prayer, we actually engage those powers. It's when we pray that angels are sent to fight against these demonic powers and ensure that they don't get their dark way. How incredible that we get a glimpse into what's actually happening in the heavenlies as we pray. That we are doing warfare. I think it's just incredible. I wonder if knowing that gives you more confidence to pray. I wonder if it... Makes you feel that perhaps we ought to spend more time praying for the nations. Praying that these powers of darkness don't get what they want, but instead the will of the Lord is carried out. Maybe we are called to spend more time in lament like Daniel was. Perhaps we're even called to spend times of fasting, depriving our bodies of certain sustenance just for a time so that we could concentrate our energies on prayer. I wonder if it encourages you to persist in your prayers and not to give up. Not just to throw up the Hail Mary or push the button on the vending machine. And when you don't get what you want, you give up. I wonder if it encourages you to stay persistent in your prayers. Do you have friends and family who don't yet know the Lord? Are you willing to keep pressing in and praying until you see God's will done? I wonder. I wonder. I want us also just to keep in mind the situation in the Ukraine and in Russia and how this passage really does speak to that situation. That we would understand that even this man Putin is making incredibly evil decisions. We can see that behind him there is a principality that is seeking to have dominion over him and we ought to be praying for him too. Putin is not the devil Putin is not a demon, but he's a man that is being influenced clearly by demonic forces. And we ought as a church to be praying for Russia as well as the Ukraine. I want to say that. The two are important together. And I wonder if it helps us to also be encouraged not to see our prayers as insignificant, but to see them as mighty, powerful, casting down strongholds and lofty things that raise themselves against the truth of God and his word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you that today you are still answering the prayers of your people. You are still moving powerfully in the earth. You're still raising up governments and casting them down. You're still accomplishing your purposes in this world, just as you did in Daniel's time too. We pray, Lord God, use us in this spiritual battle. Use us, we pray. Strengthen us in prayer. Strengthen us to continue steadfastly, even when we don't see the answer come immediately. We pray you would strengthen us to press in in prayer. Lord God, we pray you would move upon the nation of Russia. Lord, we pray that these spiritual forces that are operating in darkness, that they would be exposed. We pray, Lord God, that they would stop whispering in the government's ear. We pray that this government of Russia would turn from its plan of war and turn to peace. We pray, Lord God, for your kingdom to come in Russia, your kingdom to come in the Ukraine. And Lord, we pray for the establishment of peace in this world. But more importantly, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.